really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome once again to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, results, great interviews, and just so much more, all about this wonderful world of rugby union. So, who am I? As always, I am David Lawrence. I am an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it, all over the globe. Specifically, the the leagues that I follow are MLR, right here in the U.S., the Gallier Premiership and the URC in England and Europe, Super Rugby and the NPC in New Zealand, Australia, and the Pacific Islands, and when I'm able to catch it, the Scottish Super Six, the Curry Cup in South Africa. On top of that, I also follow the European Champions and Challenge Cups, the Guinness Six Nations, the boringly named Rugby Championship, as well as all the summer and autumn test series that I can get my hands on. So with all that rugby to cover, as you know, we will be here for you 52 weeks out of the year, and this is no exception. We'll also do lots of bonus episodes as well, and so stay tuned for that. So if you'd like to get in touch, by all means, please do. I can always be found on Twitter, at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. And you can always just shoot me an email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So get in touch whenever and however you like. So with all of that out of the way, let's dive right in. So my current updates, well, <laughs> most of you probably know. We got what turned out to be a record amount of snow this past weekend here in Boston. It just absolutely hammered us. I honestly cannot remember ever doing this much shoveling. Man, oh man, am I out of shape. My arms haven't felt like this since I tried lifting way too much weight as a teenager. And I think I might need like two straight days of sleep just to recover. So on this very pod, I had joked uh, uh, with Coach Matthew recently about forcing our Free Jacks players to dig him out by calling it a team-building exercise, and now I honestly feel bad for suggesting it. Nobody deserves this much snow in one lifetime. Getting a storm like this one, you know, timed the way it was as well, it's also just the worst. You're 100% trapped inside all day Saturday, and then you spend all of Sunday trying to dig yourself out, and then boom, back to work on Monday. Just rough. I ask this every winter, but... Why on earth do we choose to live in this godforsaken tundra? He's stupid! He's stupid! People have to know! Well, Isa, I'm not sure yet if it's good news or bad, but I, I'm, I'm feeling hopeful. So the headline I came across read, Worcester Warriors head coach Jonathan Thomas has departed the Premiership Club with immediate effect, and Steve Diamond has taken control for the rest of the season, unquote. As you know, I'm a fan of Duhan Vandenberg and was bummed to see him leave Edinburgh for Worcester at the, uh, during the last offseason. Part of that was knowing that Worcester are pretty consistent cellar dwellers in the Premiership, and it, it looked like he was hitching his wagon to a sinking ship, if I can boldly mingle my met- metaphors here. <laughs> so the word, at least as far as it reaches someone like me, about Steve Diamond seems to be, if I can attempt to sum it up, he, he, t- he gets you some results, but he's kind of a dick about it. I'm given the impression that he has such a hard-nosed style that it almost always yields results, and then fairly quickly, the flip side being after a while, pretty much everybody starts to hate him. So if I'm right about that, he's basically like a a Harbaugh from the NFL. Your team will do a lot better before it inevitably implodes on you. Of course, in rugby, the contracts tend to only be for two or three years, so it may well be that by the time the diamond effect reaches its natural conclusion, Duhan will have found a bunch of game, will have uh, won a bunch of games with them, and then moved back to Scotland, or at least that'd be my hope. Anyway, on Tuesday, Diamond addressed the media, saying in part, "quote It was a decision made by the board." Diamond told BBC Hereford and Worcester, 
I've been given the reins moving forward and I'm just looking to build on the positives created by the previous regime. He goes on, the previous management, <laughs> I love this. The previous management did a pretty good job. I just bring a different edge. If I'm being honest, I, I'll be a bit more abrasive in my approach. And I hope to take the intensity level up in training sessions. In the time I've been here, every game that we've competed in over the last two months, we've got something out of, whether it's a losing bonus point, a win, or a draw. We've got the basic rudiments of a highly competitive side that will be highly respected in this league. We've got all the ingredients here. We certainly have the talent. We have the wherewithal and the expertise. Maybe they've just not uh, been utilized as well as they could. Oh, wow. A few parting shots there. Uh, he says, he goes on, it's all about putting those ingredients into the saucepan and getting the right pie out of it, which I kind of love. And then he finishes by saying, what we're just lacking is a bit of oomph. So, is it good news? I mean, as always, time will tell. So it's time for our thoughts of the week. And of course, this week I've been thinking a lot lately uh, just about how critical the roles of officials are in rugby. Obviously, the, the referees are pretty important in every sport, but they have so much more latitude in rugby than a typical American ref and a typical American sport might have. And that's one of the things I find really appealing, actually. So, the, you know, it's just a fact. If they decide to, they can just move your entire team back 10 yards because they don't like your attitude or kick you out of the game for swearing or any one of a hundred other powers at their disposal. It makes staying on their good side one of the most important tactics a team can employ. So you see it all the time. One team is sort of complaining and questioning every call, maybe using some salty language or just showing poor discipline with too many penalties. Then suddenly that ref is just not having it anymore. As soon as this occurs, your team might as well just throw in the towel because you've just made yourself a brand new entire mountain to climb. So that's why I was interested this week when I saw an article about Dan Bigger, where he was speaking about this very dynamic. So this week for Wales Online, Bigger talked about how hard it is for him to be civil when he's all fired up in a match. The article, linked of course in the show notes, read, Dan Bigger admits dealing with referees in a positive way will be a challenge for him. And he joked, one Six Nations official is likely to be having sleepless nights already. So uh, Dan Bigger, of course, the new Wales captain, he's going to go up against old rival Johnny Sexton. That'll be in Dublin on Friday the 5th, with both skippers known for their vocal natures on the pitch. That is very true. So Dan Bigger told the Rugby Union Weekly podcast he knows he has to make a positive impression. Quote, I saw an article Johnny Sexton did. For the first game, Jakob Piper has got me and him, so I bet he's having sleepless nights. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Uh, in all seriousness, it will be a challenge because my nature is very fiery and competitive. It is kind of a double-edged sword. You know, for me as a player, I need to be at a level where I'm emotionally on edge, but obviously there has to be a line. I'm really looking forward to testing myself. Only time will tell if it comes across right, but I'm going to fly into it as best I can. Hey, and suddenly, just like that, time will tell has become a theme. What do you know? So that brings us, as always, to our reviews from the weekend. Now, my intention was to keep these notes sort of more sparse than usual so that I can really take my time with the Six Nations preview that's coming at the end of this episode, but we'll see if I can actually stick to that plan or not. So I'm going to start with the URC from this weekend, and we, of course, had a couple of Friday matches. First off, Dragons were home to face Benetton, and uh, this rugby weekend started with a 13-13 draw. You know, Dragons, they just couldn't get anything going in the rain. I admit I didn't pay a ton of attention during this one. It just didn't have that excitement you so often find in a, a Friday uh, Friday night matchup. A draw almost felt inevitable to me, and both these teams seemed seem pretty comfortable with their own mediocrity at this stage. It's strange. Not a ton of fun going on for either of these sides. Next up, though, was Ulster versus Scarlets. Scarlets are another team from whom I'm just not seeing a lot of spark, and it felt like Ulster should have been far more dominant than they were on the scoreboard. Don't get me wrong, the Ulstermen looked completely in control the whole way, 
but it felt like what I was seeing wasn't necessarily translating to the scoreboard so much. 27 to 15 was the total, and it, that looks pretty close, but that was not the sense I had as a viewer. If you go ahead and look at the stats, Scarlett had to make about a million more tackles than Ulster. That, the math isn't exact on that. I do wonder if that ha you know, has something to do with the way this one play played out. Uh, both teams actually had almost identically good tackle rates, 92 and 93, 93% respectively, but Scarlet's had to actually make 218 tackles compared to Ulster's 149. So that's a pretty big difference right there. That's an exhausting day. Dwayne Vermeulen, of course, he was like a, some sort of magical force of pure destruction out there, as always. And you know, it's worth saying, even with how long they had to wait to get him in the squad, you've got to think Ulster are extremely pleased with their investment so far. He is a frightening individual. I also like what I'm seeing from Doak, uh, to the point that I'm worried a little bit about Cooney keeping his job when he finally gets back from injury. Does anyone know when that's going to be, by the way? I, I didn't think he was that hurt, but now it's been several weeks. I would really love to know what's going on there. For Scarlet's, I'm not sold on the 9-10 pairing of Blacker and Jones, but I suppose I could be convinced otherwise. Ulster are definitely, to me, looking very strong right now in general. Moving on to Saturday, we started the day with the Lions versus the Bulls down in South Africa and in Joburg. And... You know, the Lions came into this season allegedly the strongest South African side, but their performances this year have been lacking, is the way I put it here. Not sure what's up with that, but something is definitely up. Uh, Bulls handled them very thoroughly, though you could argue that the Lions did more losing than the Bulls did winning. Uh, the immortal the immortal Mornay Stain was excellent playing fly half, and it was a thorough dismantling. It was 10-34, all told. Since ruling the Super Rugby Roost a few years ago, the Lions' drop-off has been borderline calamitous. From the year 2020, they played a total of 24 fixtures against varying opposition between Super Rugby, the Pro 14 slash Rainbow Cup, and now the URC. Now, out of those 24, they've only managed five victories. Just a woeful stretch for the formerly proud club. Next, whoo, I was psyched for this one. Connacht were playing Glasgow in Galway. And uh, the first thing I wrote was, this is a really hard one for me because you know, as you know, I'm a supporter of Scottish rugby. As a supporter of Scottish rugby, you kind of feel like you should support the individual clubs as well. So, and also, especially after my little gab with John Anderson of the Scottish Rugby Podcast just last week, it really makes me want to root for Glasgow, but I've already picked my guys in the URC, as my listeners know. Perpetual underdogs connect, and both sides had just come off major lickings by their European competitors. So this was going to be a battle between two teams I love who both seemed underdogs. I had no idea how I was going to watch this one. Anyway, for the first, I don't know, 50 minutes or so, it was, in fact, a pretty tight one. The team's effectively trading off scores, which is how I expected things would go. But after that, suddenly, Glasgow, they just took off. I, I don't know if Connick ran out of energy or just what happened, but the floodgates kind of opened. The Warriors getting three tries and a penalty with no answer at all from Connick. I, I felt like I looked away and found a different match when I looked back up. It was weird. Final score was anything but close. Connick losing at home 20-42. to 42. That's two rough weekends for my guys in a row. Not sure how they can bounce back, uh, you know, at this point in in this league, at least, and and also in Europe. Things are looking a little dire for the boys in Galway. By the way, at the start of the match, the comps pointed out the Australian ref, who's, I think, making his debut for the URC, and he remarked on his very, very non-UK tans, saying, quote, that tan's got about six or seven more layers than the next one out there today, unquote, which was very cute. I loved that one. And by the way, I do like getting some Southern Hemisphere refs in for the Northern Hemisphere fixtures. I feel like there should be a lot more cross, uh, sort of cross-pollination of that sort. Moving on, we had the Sharks at home for the Stormers. And this is the first time I've seen it. Right there in the crowd coming out with the team, 
Sharky, the shark's mascot. My son, I called my son over. He almost fell over laughing. Uh, anyway, they would, in fact, take an early lead, but it was close. Lacanio Am, the captain, he got yellow carded around the quarter mark. Stormers then taking those three points to make it five to three at the time. Points were definitely scarce in the first half. The Sharks maintained a five-point lead until they uh, scored and converted a try right at the whistle. Quote, the Stormers' discipline is really letting them down, giving away 10 penalties in the first half, unquote. That was explained by the comms, and boy, howdy, they were spot on. So the lead expanded to 16-3 to after 50 minutes, and Stormers just didn't look like they were in it at all, despite the hulking presence of the ginger fire hydrant, Stephen Kitsoff. But of course, Sharks were uh, fielding aside with not only Lucanio Am, but the world's favorite player, Sia Khaleesi. It is known. It is known. Well, 19-8 to was the underwhelming score heading into the final quarter, and I admit I found myself getting a little distracted during this one, but foolish me things got a lot more interesting shortly after that with the stormers being awarded a penalty try and the yellow card against sharks and suddenly it was 22 to 15 and the visitors were within a single score <laughs> what passes for a fight these days then broke out which of course just means it's, a, it's basically a contest based on who can smile more broadly while clutching another man's jersey this was happening with about 11 minutes to go no punches of course Discipline became an issue for the home side late. With under three minutes to play, Stormers had a line out deep in Sharks territory, down just seven. With a two-man advantage, that was there was actually three cards in ten minutes there. Uh, and the match ended in a draw based on a penalty try being awarded to Stormers. They must be pretty happy about that. So it was, it was 22 to 22 at the end of this one. That's two drawn fixtures out of the first four I've seen this weekend. Is this the weekend of the ties? Next up, Zebre. Oh, woeful Zebre. They were home to face Munster. I expected this one to be a Leinster and Europe-style massacre, but Munster, they, they weren't the team I expected on the day, with lowly Zebra keeping it pretty respectable throughout most of the match. After 50 minutes, though, Munster did lead, of course, but it was only 10-22, to 22, and if Zebra had been any other team on earth, I'd have harbored some sort of hope for them. But Zebra, in true Zebra fashion, they missed a chance at another three. They still had a lot of energy. That was good to see. However, a try after full time, it just didn't help them at all, not, not even getting one point out of it. Munster pretty easily completed their double up. It was 17 to 34, all told for that one. Next up, the Ospreys were at home to face Edinburgh. No scoring in this one for quite a while. Both sides looked a little, uh, the way I put it was, they look averse to trying right off the, off the bat. Um, all phases of the game looked to be a little lackluster, with even the ref chiming in saying, quote, your scrummaging right now is not good, unquote, which I thought was a great thing for him to say, especially because it was true. It was a double goose egg after the first quarter. Then after a touch of yellow card against Ospreys, Edinburgh methodically brought it down for a try, and you had to wonder if the cherry had been broken on this one. Somehow I foresaw a lot more scoring after the opening dearth of points we had. Uh, once again, everyone I'm writing about seems to be listening because Edinburgh got another try from the loose head, making it a 14-point edge just before 27 minutes had even gone by. And then I wrote, whoa! Another theme continues. My first ever glimpse of the Ospreys mascot. He's strolling around. I've been watching this team for six years, maybe seven years. I've never seen this before. So many weird threads to connect for our wrap-up this week. What on earth is that mascot's name? Is it Ozzy? I mean, it can't be, right? So what are we looking at here? Anyway, Ospreys, as the comps pointed out, staged a, a, an heroic comeback and grabbed a lead 17-14, to 14, roughly after the 50-minute mark. The hat trick then by, uh, by an Edinburgh player got them the lead again right as the game was going into its final 20. This one just got tighter and tighter. Ospreys then reclaimed a one-point lead at the 68-minute mark. Damn, man, what a weekend of rugby this is already turning out to be. 
quote, an air of desperation, unquote, is how they described Edinburgh at that point. And the Ospreys damn well took their sweet time with a penalty to bring their advantage to four. But Edinburgh were still, of course, in the hunt, just less than one try. Unbelievable this weekend. Holy cow. The last play of this game, it came down to a scrum. And here we are in the scrum of the earth to talk about it. Would you believe it? Ospreys, game to win or lose. One final moment. Gah! No arms tackle on Edinburgh. Ospreys, doink it out for the victory. What a way to cap off the week. It was 23-19 to 19 in the end of that one. A big win over the then league leaders for the Ospreys. Next up was Cardiff versus Leinster. Oh, man, another good one. This again, it looked like a huge mismatch to me. Mismatch, mismatch. So I was really pleased to see Cardiff taking and then holding on to a lead. At the 70-minute mark, they were still ahead, though Leinster answered right back to retake a one-point advantage, 26-27, to 27, with only a few minutes to go. What a gut punch that would have been for the home side to get so close and then lose it there at the end. Josh Turnbull was his amazing, usual, just wrecking ball self, giving it all, you know, everything he had right up to the very bitter end. And what an ending it was. Cardiff kicking themselves to victory with the clock well in the red. The ecstasy in that stadium was palpable even the way all the way over here. Just incredible stuff. What a journey Cardiff have been on this year, eh? You know, these must be some of the highs to counteract the lows of being trapped in a hotel room so far from home. Just an amazing year for that club in so many ways. you got to tip your hat to them. Fantastic showing today. 29-27 to 27 was the shocking final score for that one. And that wrapped up the URC. Moving on now, as we always do, to the Prem. On Friday, we had just the one match. It was Bath at home for Harlequins. Boy, I, I saved this one until the end, thinking I'm probably not going to end up watching it too closely. I had predicted just an absolute blowout. Harlequins looks so good this year, and Bath just can't get out of their own way. Nope, completely wrong. Once again, <laughs> an actual shocker of a victory for Bath. By the way, they mentioned at the end, they said, oh, an historic victory for Bath. Isn't every victory of theirs an historic victory at this point? Anyway, absolute shocker. It's not like Harlequins had a B-side out there or anything, so it was great news for the Bath fans. 21-17 to was the final score. A little surprising to see Harlequins so out of sorts. Uh, Will Muir, he, uh, is it Muir? I always feel like I'm pronouncing that wrong, even though I'm staring straight at it. But he scored both tries for the home team, and Ben Spencer was great from the tee, scoring 11 points of his own. Moving on to the Saturday. The first one I had here was London Irish facing off against the Chiefs. And I wrote, now that the Chiefs have finally given in to the inevitable, I had to wonder out loud if they were suddenly going to look like we expected that they would look this year. That the, you know, maybe the stink had finally left. Uh, it looked like that was their intention right off the start, too. But uh, I don't know. It, it quickly kind of went back to the way things have looked recently. Um, it was, you know, 10 minutes of what looked like dominance without too many points to show for it. But then things reverted back to the mean that they've been at this season. It was 11 to 14 after 30 minutes. So Exeter then did what they used to never do, which is cough it up in the opposition's goal line. London Irish quickly took advantage. Some nifty work from Patty Jackson unlocked the defense and got them in for their first lead after the whistle for the uh, for the first half had blown. It was 18 to 14 going into the break. You got to say, Patty, he just he just took this game. He he held it down. He wouldn't let go. He just wouldn't take no for an answer. Uh, anyway. Ten minutes into the second stanza, the score had not changed, and Exeter looked to be spinning their wheels a bit. At this point, I actually wondered if something is maybe up with Hoggy. Like ever since he got benched by Exeter last season, he's just to me he's just seemed a little bit off his game, especially with Exeter. Um, of course, there was a hullabaloo just recently too about his potentially leaving, which he denied so vehemently that it seemed obvious that it was true. 
Um, it feels like the honeymoon is over for him with this club. Um, I would say here how much I would love to see him joining Finn at Racing next year, but if that was the case, I wouldn't be able to watch either of them, which sounds awful. So 18 to 14 was the ending. Ended with a bit of a whimper, I have to say, but it also this weekend, it just feels like the teams in the UK, they're not able to score that much right now. It's interesting. Moving on, Newcastle were at home to face Gloucester. It was five tries to three in favor of the visitors, including an absolute beauty from Lewis Reese Zamet. And the Cherry and Whites in their powder blues got a strong win, 22 to 32, over a Falcons team that seems to be really struggling right now. Moving on to Worcester at home for Northampton, the Saints got themselves a nice bonus point win on the road, vaulting themselves into the Prem's top four as well. There's a lot of movement this weekend on that front. 13 to 29 was the final for this one. Wales captain Dan Bigger made three of the four conversions and slotted a penalty, while Worcester managed only one kick in the first half, with two late tries just being nowhere near enough for this one. I guess Steve Diamond is still looking for that little oomph, huh? Anyway, it was time for Sunday. Sunday saw sale. What, what am I doing with this alliteration? Sunday saw sale sharks at Sandy Park. Is that where they? I don't know. Anyway, sale were at home for Leicester. It took Leicester all of three minutes to slot their first points, and they looked typically in control from the get-go. A new phrase I caught from the comms was, quote, he has supermaned his way over, unquote, on a gorgeous try for, that was for Harry Potter. Uh, I like that line, superman his way over. Uh, really made the Sharks' defense look pretty flimsy at best. And this one I, I wrote, might get out of hand. It was 5-18 to 18 at 46 minutes, and Harrison, who's been playing loose head for, for sale, I finally figured out who he reminds me of. He looks like a statue of Julius Caesar if ancient Rome was set in the He-Man universe, right? I'm, I think I'm pretty spot on with that one. So then an incredible tackle by Wigglesworth, a man whose name I particularly enjoy pronouncing, potentially saving a try, and suddenly a driving ball for sale and Lude, blink, blink, Diagre. You see, what a gorgeous little pass. Sets up an easy try for the home side. Maybe the confidence is coming back at this point. By the way, if you were both a Leicester Tigers and a Rush fan, you definitely would have counted the score as being 21-12 right now. Yes, folks, of course, that is how you know you're on the scrum of the earth. 70s prog rock is always your most obvious indicator. Anyway, as the comms put it, quote, Sale got their tails up, unquote. And a furious comeback effort saw them taking the lead, 24-21, with just about 15 minutes left to go. Tigers looked a shambles at that point. Offended, it seemed, by my writing that very phrase, they suddenly remembered who they were, scored another try to reclaim the lead for themselves. Another tight one. Gotta say, for just a random sort of the week before Six Nations start, this weekend had everything. The seesaw continued, and AJ looked to give his team a one-point lead with about seven minutes remaining, brought the crowd at the stadium. By the way, the stadium's clearly named for him. Uh, he brought that stadium to their feet. It was 27-26 to 26 for the home side. McGinty added another in short order, and then on the restart, just a wide open breakaway try. Suddenly, the Sharks were up 35 to 26 with the clock looming large. Weird day for Leicester. Are they on the cusp of like a little mini skid here? Is this when the you know the time of year when the teams who did well at the beginning start to uh, start to fall off a little bit while the underdogs make their comebacks? It, it, this weekend sure looked like it. Honestly, they just haven't looked as sharp as they did by quite a bit. Um, it seems like their confidence is very low right now. If you agree and you're listening to this, let me know what you think. You probably know more about this team than I do. Give me the inside streak, people. Give me the inside scoop. The skinny, the down low. No. Anyway, 35 to 26 indeed remained the final score and the weekend of upsets kept it rolling. I love it. Anyway, Wasps were at home for Saracens. 
as you know, I tend to root for the underdog in any given scenario, and this was looking like my weekend. Bath, getting an historic win, Cardiff somehow taking down almighty Leinster, and approaching the three-quarter mark, Wasps were holding a slim lead over the powerhouse Saracens. If this result ends up, ends up standing, I wrote, that'll be at least three, probably more, massive upsets all in one weekend. I am so here for it. Saracens, they looked to have retaken the lead, but their try was disallowed. You could feel the hope building among Jimmy Gopperth and his boys. Alex Good, ugh, off day. Did not seem his usual perfect self. Definitely some strange decisions, some poor kicking, a little bit of complaining to the ref. I'm not sure what the deal was there, but something's up. With just about 10 minutes to go, Saracens got a massive breakaway and got to within what felt like inches of the Wasps' try line when some incredible defense again foiled them knocking on the door. The roar that went up was amazing. They botched into a line out, but still managed to hold on to it magically. And with breaks like that, it just, I wrote, it felt like their day. So, of course, that doesn't mean they can go to sleep on this team. However, if Saris know how to do one thing, it's how to win. Oh, and how to pay players without actually paying them. They know something about that, too. Anyway, Gopperth nailed a 50-22. It took the comms completely by surprise. I was seriously keyed up at this stage. And then I wrote, <laughs> I think there must be five woes in my notes. Maybe I should just make it like a command key or something. So Elliot Stuke, he uh, stooped it down with about five minutes left. Wasps had their biggest lead yet. Saracens, quote, have three and a half minutes left, leaving them squarely in losing bonus point territory, unquote. That was opined by the comms. And yeah, that's how it started to look amazing. I do notice Saracens didn't exactly, you know, feel their top lineup. But that does, I don't want to take anything away from the Wasps, who are over the moon in the closing moments. You have to think all the fans today are going to vividly recall the gentle violet skies that pro that provided the lovely backdrop for this one. What a day. Almost as if they heard my thoughts once again. The people running the cameras give us a long shot of the scattered remnants of clouds drifting lazily through the soft purple evening. Thank you for that. That was lovely. Saracens managed to get a desperate try right at the end with a conversion potentially getting them at least that one point, the losing bonus point. And of course, Lozovsky was not interested in missing that getting his team crucially within that seven-point window. The final score, 26-20 to 20 for the jubilant Wasps. So much fun stuff this weekend. It is the weekend of the underdogs, baby. In fact, I had to make a little extra note here. Lions losing to the Bulls. That was unexpected. Cardiff defeating the Death Star. By the way, can we start calling them Lenstar? Uh, that was remarkable. Bath beating anybody. That's cause for celebration. London Irish, surprising Exeter. Sale, same against the Tigers. Ospreys pulled it out over... Uh, over the league-topping Edinburgh, at least they were at the moment, my count has at least six, maybe seven upsets, along with two draws. So upward of nine fixtures ended up with either surprising winners or no winners at all. That is a very quirky weekend for sure. Well, and like they say in the NFL, that's why they don't play the games on paper, people. A very fun weekend for the mostly neutral. Okay, as always, that brings us to our coveted Diamond in the Ruck Award, and this week, we are giving it out to Lewis Reese Zammett. Lewis, you're not just a great player for Gloucester. You're not just a great player for England. You're also the expression I use when I get really mad about something like, Lewis Reese Zammett! Works perfectly, believe me. I encourage all of you to do the exact same thing, by the way. In any event, the try you scored this weekend was probably the best and most exciting of the whole weekend. And, you know, you've really started to show some tough defense you know, from time to time. 
which is a nice little update. Against Newcastle, you took me by surprise by taking over for Adam Hastings after 53 minutes and still led your team in meters carried by a large sum, chalking up 111, beating seven different defenders along the way. You made that nifty little offload that I liked so much and just generally looked great out there doing it all. Mr. Lewis Reese Zamet, congrats to you, for you are this week's Diamond in the Ruck. Now, go tap an adult on the shoulder and get him to buy you a beer. And friends, that brings us to our previews. As you must know, next weekend marks the start of this year's Six Nations Tournament, which means the URC will take a nap to allow their non-international players some rest. So I understand the idea is, while all the theoretically best players you've got are called up to play for their respective countries, you'd be stuck fielding some, you know, kind of weaker sides if you stuck to the regular competition. So why not just take a break? This actually strikes me as quite sensible, which is why it confuses me that the Premiership doesn't utilize this model, and so there's a full slate of fixtures that will uh, necessarily feature some uh, interesting selections, shall we say. Of course, I imagine the silver lining they have in mind is, well, so-and-so is our nailed-on scrum half, so we can't just play a 19-year-old in his place to see if he's any good. That'd be risky for our record and might anger the star player. Whereas if your stars aren't available... You have to try something a little different, and every now and then, you might uncover uh, uncover a bit of gold that you didn't know you had. Anyway, whatever the case, the Premiership does have a full docket, and it will include on Friday the 4th, Gloucester at home for London Irish, and then the bulk of the games will be on Saturday. Gotta say, who's watching you know, Bristol-Newcastle when Ireland are playing Wales or Scotland are facing England? Anyway, these fixtures will include, as I say, Bristol versus Newcastle, Exeter home for, for Wasps, Leicester to face the Warriors. Saracens will be at home against Bath, and then on Sunday, the last game of the weekend in the Prem will be Harlequins versus Sale. Of course, I just asked rhetorically, oh, who's watching this? When I think we all know the answer is, uh, you are, David, you are. Yeah, so you, you got me there. Anyway, of course, lest you think I forgot, Major League Rugby begins, begins their new season on Saturday as well. The season starts Saturday afternoon. That'll be Old Glory DC traveling down to face Rugby ATL. That evening, the new expansion Dallas Jackals will have a Texas Derby down in Austin. Last, uh, last year's champions from Los Angeles, they will also find themselves in Texas for a showdown with the Houston Sabercats. And then my beloved Free Jacks will be traveling to New Orleans for a fixture against Nola Gold. The Utah Warriors are lucky enough to have a nice little trip to San Diego where they'll face the Legion. Not lucky because of the, the match or anything, just because San Diego in February sounds like heaven to me right about now, especially in, from inside my increasingly thick igloo here. And finally, the last MLR fixture for the weekend, the Toronto Arrows. They will be at the Starfire Sports Complex that's about 12 miles south of Seattle proper, where they will take on the Seawolves. I did record a bonus episode just a few days ago with Phil from the Jack's Rangers podcast about all of this, and that's going to drop in just a day or two. So watch this space. Okay, with all of that out of the way, let's get to the big preview. That, of course, being the most storied and treasured of all international tournaments, the Guinness Six Nations. Before you get upset, before you mention that you prefer the boringly named rugby championship between the Southern Hemisphere teams, that's fine. I love that tournament, too. I really do. But this one has about 113 years of history on its side, so so let's not go crazy here, okay? Anyway, this year, the action kicks off on Saturday, February 5th. The first two fixtures will be on that day and the third on the Sunday. 
On Saturday, we kick things off with an unbelievable matchup with Ireland at home to face Wales. Ireland and Wales have faced each other 132 times throughout their history, with Wales winning 70, Ireland winning 55, and seven matches drawn. Wales are currently the Six Nations title holders, having won it last year by the skin of their teeth somehow. Still not even sure about that one. Ireland, however, are on tremendous form at the moment, beating the All Blacks an incredible three times in the last five years. You know, when you look at the history, international tests between these two nations are almost always close. I can't find any blowouts looking up and down the list. If I'm right, 36 points looks like it was the most points either team has ever scored on the other out of all 132 matchups. That's pretty amazing. In the last 10 meetings, stretching back to 2015, it's typically even with Ireland taking five, Wales four, and one draw. But if you change that window to the last five tests, Ireland actually looked really dominant, winning four out of those five. Now, to be clear, these are all results between them, not just Six Nations matchups. So if you look at only Six Nations matchups, it again looks very close. Wales beat them in 2021, 2019, and 2017, with Ireland winning both of those years in between. I guess it's an even odd thing. So it's my sense that Ireland are in a better place than Wales are this year. Um, playing at the Aviva in Dublin is a serious home field advantage, especially knowing we're going to have full crowds. Furiously crosses his fingers. Uh, it's my impression that outside of Johnny Sexton, obviously Ireland's squad is starting to find some greatness in their younger players, while Wales seems to be relying more on their veterans, many of whom can probably see the finish line from here. Also, I think the best overall players on the Ireland squad are probably better than the best five players on the Wales squad. I think that's going to prove to be significant. The scrum of the earth pick, Ireland, to win by two or three scores. Next up, we will, oh gosh, ugh, getting so nervous. We'll have Scotland welcoming England to Murrayfield in Edinburgh. Well, I think we all know who I'll be rooting for in this one. Looking at the records, these two nations have fought it out on the pitch 139 times, with only four of those contests outside of the home or five or six nations tournament. One was their first ever international rugby test. That was in 1871, won by Scotland, by the way. Scotland also won 100 years later in a special fixture they arranged just to commemorate that first ever test. And apart from that, they've met twice, both in 1991 and 2011 in the World Cup, with England winning both of those times. So out of the 139 tests, the English have been pretty dominant, got to admit. They've won 76 to Scotland's 44. The sides have drawn 19 times. That's amazing. For the last 10 Six Nations tournaments, England have, again, been largely on the better side. Seven wins to two with one draw. However, Scotland did get a win away at Twickenham last year, something they hadn't accomplished in 38 years, and this year they get home field as well. On the other hand, Murrayfield hasn't exactly been, you know, a stronghold for Scotland like Twickenham is for the English. Scotland last beat England at Murrayfield in 2018. Before that, the last time was 2008 with the English winning outright nine times and drawing only once. Yikes! So for me, I believe that Scotland are good enough at this point to win. I also think it's incredibly important for them to get off on the right foot this year, and they'll be as geared up as they've ever been. That being said, there are a lot of new young faces on the Scotland squad. We don't yet really know how many of them are going to do it, uh, how, many of them are, uh, how some of them are going to handle being on a stage like this one. Also, based on the pretty overwhelming history and my keen awareness that optimism for a Scottish side is kind of like drinking mercury, it seems outright foolish to bet against England in this spot. So as I discussed with John Anderson on our most recent chat, he was explaining you know, that they like to make sort of three picks. You can make a pick with your head. You know, that's who you intellectually actually think is going to win. 
Then your pick with your heart, which is really what you're rooting for, what you really hope is going to win. And then, of course, you make a pick with your ass, which is basically imagining the worst case scenario for a particular outcome. So on that scale, with, that, with those three things in mind, I'm afraid my little heart is outnumbered two to one. However, I watch these games because I love it. Therefore, I'm going fully on the side of my heart. The scrub of the earth pick, Scotland win a tight one by three or fewer points. Just imagine the party that would ensue. Then, of course, on Sunday, France, they will match up against Italy in Paris with Italy fielding one of the youngest squads in the history of the tournament. Let's face it, uh, Italy haven't won a match in Six Nations since 2015, and it doesn't look like this squad is going to be as strong or at least as experienced as some of the prior years. In the history of this tournament, France and Italy have met 42 times, with France taking 39 of those matches with no draws. Woof! So France, to me at the moment, they are a very, very strong side. As I've said here before, they look to be lining up for a very serious run in the next Rugby World Cup, which they'll be hosting in 2023. One could argue that Dupont and Entomac are the best 9 and 10 in the entire world, but even if you don't agree with that outright, you might still admit that together they make the best 9 and 10 combination, uh, just the best pairing at those positions. Also, I think, as scary as it sounds, I think both of them are still getting better. So the scrum of the earth pick. Italy haven't beaten France in almost 12 years. I don't think that trend changes for this match. France to win by a lot. Maybe, I mean, maybe even a 40-point margin by the end there. So just on the off chance, any of you listeners, just in, just in case this is your first encounter with Six Nations, first of all, welcome. I'm glad to see you. You are in one uh, for one heck of a ride, depending on who you choose to support. And second, if you don't know, in Six Nations, if one team wins all five of its matches, it's said to have completed a Grand Slam. The last time that happened was in 2019, pardon me, when Wales did it by uh, in their lead-up to the Rugby World Cup, where things did not go so well. Overall, unsurprisingly, England have won the most Grand Slams, managing the feat 13 times, with Wales close on their heels with 12. I was a bit surprised to see that France has gotten a Grand Slam nine times, surprising because they weren't original participants in this tournament. So historically... This is a, a tournament that has changed and adapted over its long history, as I said, beginning with the Home Nations Tournament in 1883. In 1910, France were added to the tournament and it officially became five nations until France would duck out again between the years of 1931 and 47, during which years the competition reverted to its original moniker. In the year 2000, Italy joined the other five teams to form the Six Nations Tournament as we know it today, and that's how it has been ever since. In short... France have won only four fewer Grand Slams than leaders England, despite having had 16 fewer chances to actually do it. Disappointingly, both Scotland and Ireland, who have been there from the very beginning, have won Grand Slams only three times each. For the record, I can't see anyone getting a Grand Slam this year. There's just so many strong teams. It's hard not to think that everybody's going to lose at least one. So this year, rounds one and two will be the first two weekends in February. Round three will come two weeks after that. Round four will be March 11th and 12th, and the final round will play out all together on Saturday, March 19th. It's going to be spectacular. I cannot wait. Well, my friends, that does it for another week. Thank you so much for listening and for reaching out. It's just always great to hear from you. As always, if you do want to get in touch, you can use Twitter. I'm at UfScrum. You can find me at the Scrum of the Earth podcast on the Insta. And you can always just shoot me an email via the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. 
If you can bring yourself to drop me a nice review, that would please me to no end. And if you like what we're doing here, there are a couple of ways you can show your support listed in the show notes for this episode along with everything else. So, as always, my friends, thank you again for coming along to all of you across the globe. Cheers. Talk to you soon. And be well.